0: Welcome back and happy new year 2024 Today, back to the impact education leadership episode 195. I'm your host, 93, four. Isaac Thursday night's comes are done. Witty, please. Hello to the people.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me part of this conversation.
0: Absolutely. And Shawana Marshall, please say hello again to the people.
2: Hello, everyone. This is Shawana Marshall. Thank you so much for having me again, Mr. Drone. I'm excited to be on again. So glad to have
0: you back. And Carl Barry, please say hello again to the people.
3: I'm happy to be in the house. Hello, everyone. This is Carl, Carl Barry. <laughs> and
0: with no further ado, Buddy, during Postles Exchange, change your pro, please say hello, sir, to the people.
4: Yeah, It's going to be an exciting year, 2024, to be back with my brother from another mother and uh, esteemed guests. And you know what? We need to get this boat out of the harbor and into the ocean. Let's go. Well, let's
0: do it. I guess this is a Navy night tonight, huh? You know I'm Army, but listen, tonight's topic is role modeling better, faster. Let's go around the horn really quick. What were your thoughts when you first got the topic for tonight? Who would like to go first?
2: I would be happy to go first. This is Shawana. When I saw the topic, automatically what came to mind is lead by example when i when i see that topic role modeling better faster when you lead by example you set the stage for what you're expecting and so that way you get the results faster
0: oh excellent excellent who's next who's next That was top of the line who's next
1: i'll I'll jump, I'll jump in. in also oh you can jump in
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, i usually say ladies first but i'll i'll jump in since you open the door uh, you know, when I got the topic, the first thing I thought of was the question I've been asked the most in the last 30 days. And that is, how do we ever know we get to have privacy in this world? And especially in the school environment, does anybody ever have an expectation of privacy? So when you are in the school setting, whether you believe you're the only one in the building all the way up to it's the middle of the day and it's, everything is bustling around you, you need to be your best role model because you have no clue who might be learning something from you. And that is the fastest way to get everybody on the same page, to get everyone to understand you don't have privacy, so everything you do, be the role model that you should be proud of.
0: See, he's already trying to start something. Already. Done. What's your thoughts?
1: You know, I saw this post like several years ago and it said the world is changed by your what you do, not by what you say and so like for me a role model is somebody who is the person who shows up in the world in the way that you look at that and you're like I want to be that I have role models and my role models are like Disney princesses and you know I I didn't even realize that was a thing until a few years ago but like I want to be the person I wish I had in every situation so the golden rule is show up the way you would want somebody to show up for you, and I feel like that's what like the best example of a role model is to me.
0: Well said. Well said. And Carl Barry, what was your thoughts when we got topic tonight? Role modeling better, I, faster.
3: Well, I thought about somebody used a word love to talk about uh, the a, a word buzzword for the day's uh, meeting, and I really thought about uh, candid love and that kind of surmises what everybody has had to say is I need to be honest and I don't need to uh, color uh, anything I've said but I need to make sure I'm saying it in a loving way and I need to also be loving at all times and it's easy for me to justify and rationalize that uh, you deserve my wrath uh, but more importantly, everybody deserves my love.
0: Oh, I like that love. So you can't can't lose with love with that topic. Well, when I got the topic for the night, when I created the topic, the first thought that came to my mind was to talk about like equity. I want to talk about equity. I want to talk about inclusion. I want to talk about how sometimes. Well, no, not sometimes. Many times, people are judged based off of their capacity to pour out. And different people have different levels and different levels of measurement or or measures. Like, not everyone has the same volume. And so, but we compare everyone alike, just as, you know, buddy, he, he poured all this out on me. But maybe he was gifted with, you know, five times more measure than Isaiah was, or, or, Shawana, she she was able to pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out. But but this new educator has little to pour out to the people that follow her or him. And so that that equity piece, that equity piece, like having having shoes for everyone, but not tailor making the shoe size so that everyone can fit it. And how important is identifying those characteristics of diversity when it comes to role modeling. The panel's open. How important is that to you to be able to identify where someone is at and being able to meet them where they are and then bring them up, teach them up? The panel's open. What's your thoughts? Who wants to take
1: it first? I want to take it. I'm sorry. I don't always like like to do this first, but I think love is why we're here. Right? That is a universal truth that every soul connects to. Whether it's a dog, you know, or a bird, or a girl, or, a, you know, a human, that might be different in race, might be different in religion, might be different in whatever way that is. Love is that thing that connects all of us. And my dog just literally. (laughs) So that's, that's where everything I do comes from, is that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my dog is like, Seeing my dog but I, I connect with every soul right it, it doesn't matter if that soul is a human soul I don't care about your color I don't care about your race I don't care about your gender yes yeah, thank mm-hmm. you Toby I don't care about any of those things because when we get to the the core of our humanity it is literally like connecting soul to soul So I thank you for introducing love into the conversation, because love is why we're here. And I I pass the mic, <laughs> because you have like a, a an amazing, you know, like a round table of people to speak. But like that for me is is really like at the at the base of everything I do. Okay,
2: I don't mind following up. Um, So equity is big for me. And as I think about um, this topic for tonight, role modeling and and the educational piece aspect of this. So when I think about students, teachers, and leaders, and that's kind of how I want to approach it, I Coming in as a new teacher, I always had the mindset that I wanted my students to be successful. So I had to model the expectations, whether it was from the lessons that I was teaching, um, the objectives that I was presenting to my students. But I also kept in the back of the mind that some of my students were more privileged, some students didn't have as much. So those students that were may, may, may have been less fortunate, ensuring that I equipped them with what they needed. And I was just that teacher to make sure I knew my students. So if they were those students that that did not have at the beginning of the year or throughout the year, I wanted to ensure that I provided those additional pieces so that they could be successful. And even going back to the academic piece, some of my students were, well, the reality is they were all on different levels. So just making sure that I afforded those students with the opportunity, whether it was additional tutoring, additional support, making sure that I met them where they were so they could be successful. Uh, When I think about teachers um, from being a novice teacher to now being a 20 year educator, the reality is we all, we have all been on different levels and there are going to be teachers that come in whether they're new and there's also going to be veterans that the reality is it's a lifelong learning process. So when I think about equity there's always going to be that those years where you have to ensure that teachers have what they need from professional development, from additional training, um, and also for resources. There are some teachers that, like, literally, they have everything they need. There are some teachers that don't have what they need. And the reality is, as a leader, you you sort of bear that burden to make sure that your teachers have what they need. Now, I was that teacher that I wanted to make sure that, I had everything possible to help my students be successful and so that for me, if a new teacher came in and I saw that they didn't have what they needed, I was always that person that wanted to be that additional support to make sure that they had what they needed. They understood, like, the lessons or they understood instructional strategies because they were coming in new. And when I think about the equity piece, it's really the the burden falls on the leader, but also falls on those teachers, too, that are in that department with that teacher to help ensure that they, in a sense, have what they need so that they can provide that equitable piece for their students. Now, and, and I talked about the leaders, in a sense, because, to me, a good leader, is going to be able to pick up when there's a lack of equity and so equity is a word that means a lot to me just in my profession and where i am today i didn't realize how powerful it was years ago when i started on this 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 role to be an educator but now when i think about 17 well, prior to my 17th year but definitely as i've worked towards where i am now i realize how important that word equity has become and why it is so important in our in our schools from the student standpoint teacher standpoint and the leadership standpoint
0: oh that was excellent that was excellent who's next who's next because i'm i already ready to ask the next question but who's next
3: this is carl i really think it's important that we seek to understand rather than to be understood a lot of times we get caught up in hearing, but not listening. And we've got to understand that in order to hear what a person is saying, we've really got to listen to where they put the emphasis on their words, what they're actually saying. It's all saying, I, th- I know you think you understand what I said, but what you heard wasn't what I meant. And this is the thing that the students, the teachers, the co teachers and everybody involved needs to be able to pay attention to one another and stop thinking while somebody's talking and thinking about your reply or thinking about whether you agree or disagree and really see if you hear what they're saying. If your listening allows you to hear the internal message they're trying to give. That's love.
0: That was strong too. that that's strong, love, buddy, come on I know you got some I know you' gonna spread it, spread it nice, come on.
4: <laughs> well, when it comes to equity, especially when you're talking about kids who are in the middle school to high school arena, and the ones that are approaching pre late late preteens on they've they're starting to acquire abstract thinking, and so, they can see the environment around themselves. Some of them are going to be extroverts. Some of them are going to be introverts. Teachers and the administrators have to understand that there's really only two ways to create equity in a school that will impact the students, and the students have to actually see and feel the impact before equity is going to be real. One is you change the starting line for the students you know are already going to be the superstars. Everyone gets tracked from preschool on. We have so much analytics on our kids that by the time they're middle schoolers, we should be able to predict fairly easily who are the superstars in the class and who are the ones who are going to need help. So what we do is we have to shift our thinking into the reverse of the 80-20 rule. We have to let those top 20% have... Uh, you know, very ascribed goals and we have to work with the other kids and to to strive to give them our time so we can shrink the lack of equity between the superstars and the rest of the pool of students. That's one way to do it. The second way to do it is to embed our thinking into leveraging those superstar students and allow them to be co-facilitators co-creating the classroom environment allow them to answer a lot of questions but then bring the other students along by focusing on the impact of hearing the right answer knowing the right answer and then they have no excuse not to have to think about the right answer the third thing that they're doing across Europe right now increase equity is when they have a low-performing school they shift the work from abstraction to application They spend a lot more time with application because application is where the lower students excel. They may not get a concept until you actually use all of the different teaching methodologies uh, to, to let them have the material and actually work with it. And all of a sudden, some of the students who were failing to grasp the abstract thoughts that are being taught in the classroom, once you use application, you shrink how much distance there are between the kids who can get it abstractly and the ones who cannot. All those are methods to shrink the very, very huge equity divide that we have in schools. And the rest I'll save for answering my question.
0: Oh, this is good. I'm going to throw you guys a curveball. At least I'm going to try to. But I'm sure you're going to knock it out at the ballpark. As you were talking, uh, this subject, I, I agree with she want to marshal uh, this subject is so uh near and dear to my heart as well and, and it makes you want to cry right and I'm a soldier um buddy he's a seaman he's a he's a navy, but soldiers one of the things that they told us when we were getting trained through basic training they said, warriors, they don't cry." but that was a lie because we we cried all the time we shed tears all the time I, I think education is like a battleground I think education is like going to battle for our, our kids you on you're on the battlefield and yeah you got to keep your head to the ground because you got to stay humble people are gonna say things that you don't necessarily agree with but you got to keep moving forward because you're not doing it for you. you you're doing it because of the love you're doing it because of that student you're doing it because you need them to be the next world leaders the next change agents COVID-19 came cell phones came technology came I want to I open up the panel with this question well actually the panel is still open Did COVID-19 the technology the cell phones did they affect the way our children understand if they did we want to know if they didn't we want to know that but was there a shift was there a change was there an adaptation was there a modification what happened when COVID-19 technology Okay. I, state difference.
1: I I I would love to chime in on that. COVID nineteen definitely changed the world. Like if this was something that didn't happen in one sector of the world, it happened in all of the world. So this was like a unifying thing that happened for everybody. And I think that like it changed the way we see. I mean, it changed the way we do things, right? Like we got like on Zoom and we got on social media more than in-person stuff, and I I love in-person stuff, but it like opened up. You know, for all the the negatives that it did, it also opened up some positives, so I like with everything that happens in our world, there is a positive to every negative, so I do know that covid like yes, was that like anything that any of us wanted, but it opened up like some different avenues of us communicating and connecting with people all around the world that we didn't have access to before. So I, 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 I will say like, I, I, I didn't love it. Like clearly that was not something I loved that happened in our reality, but I will say like, I think that like we can find the positive from every thing that happens in our lives. And COVID definitely opened up some like positive things as it was a negative. It also created positive. <laughs>
0: absolutely thank you for that thank you Ooh, who's next
2: and I just I'll piggyback it back off of what um, Don said the reality is with COVID-19 from from my perspective, I feel like it just further initiated the shift in learning. So like Don mentioned, there were pros and cons. So I just think about prior to COVID and I'm old school. I just remember going into that shift where we were dealing we were dealing with issues um where cell phones. I wasn't used to that but we were bringing and allowing cell phones into the schools and so I realized from a teacher standpoint I had to get on board. It was becoming part of this learning shift with cell phones uh, and we were using of course technology like laptops prior to but it was more of our instruction was centered around technology use. Well when COVID hit then of course you know we went from in-person learning they were virtual and I just think of about as COVID, as we were dealing with COVID and after COVID, I feel like in a sense, it is crippled and weakened um, our students in a sense because they depend so much on technology. And so for me, there's like, we talked about pros and cons. Yes, we are living in a technology driven society. You have to get on board. And I realize that it is so imperative that we, you know, as educators, it's incorporated into the lessons because that's just where we are. But my concern is for students because the generation that we're in now they tend, what I saw prior to me coming out of the classroom in 2021, students relied heavily on their cell phones on, for technology. They didn't really, to me, revert back to that old way of, like, let me figure it out myself. Let me do this myself. And I'm I'm a former English teacher. So I have seen a shift where, and the reality is we're, Students go to the internet to create a paper. No, that's not what we do. We create it ourselves. So my concern is just from, I can't blame it all on COVID-19 because prior to that, I saw more of the change in which technology, cell phones were almost creating a challenge for teachers, but also crippling our students. And we just have to figure out and do a better job, I believe, personally within the school district, how we can have a balance, making sure that our students are really truly learning, but not using AI or whatever technology to to get ahead. That's just my concern and where we are with this technology shift before COVID and after COVID.
0: That was a solid answer. That was solid. Who's who's next?
4: I think it's really important also so I can piggyback off that a little bit to realize that COVID exposed a couple of very huge, glaring issues in the domain of what is actually a valid source. A lot of kids, uh, especially those who were caught in the digital deserts and had to rely on very, very sparse interaction with the uh, Internet world during COVID, didn't have the same type of sourcing material, but they... They, a lot of times they were forced to go to older sourcing material. Some of the kids who were not mired in the digital deserts were able to access more modern and certainly more up to date sourcing material. But there was nobody there, especially during the lockdown phases, to tell these kids what was a valid and what was an invalid source. So the ability, at least for at least 10 to 15 percent of the students, to have a huge amount of misinformation and go off on tangent was increased during COVID. And I think that impacted equity as much because of the digital divide as it and deserts as it did anything else. COVID was a differentiator. It, it told us exactly where the big glaring problems are. And to date, even though COVID is minimized now, no one has come up with very solid answers.
0: Oh, that was good. That was good. Who's next? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get into this thing. We already in it, but I'm, 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 I'm in the rain. I'm in the rain. You better watch out. I'm in the rain. Come on. Who's next?
3: I had the privilege of working with a major university in Texas on the topic. They gave me was COVID hesitancy and the glaring outcome of that whole scenario was COVID changed everything. It just, it didn't just change the students. It changed the teachers. It changed the schools. I had a guy wanting to make a presentation with me recently, and he didn't want to do it over the, the virtually because he couldn't really read my body language and social distancing in and of itself. Is a promotion of mental health. Mental health doesn't mean you're crazy. You're just unhealthy mentally. My greatest example of mental health is when uh, there's a group chat and seven or eight people are talking back and forth on the group chat, and there's four or five people that are highly aggravated and they're taking me off this chat. Get me rid of that. They sent 28 different messages. That's mental health. And we've got to understand that mental health was apparent during the COVID years. A single parent came home with three kids that's been in the house all day. They were working in the hospital. They got to see all sorts of horrific outcomes in that hospital. What did they bring back to those kids? So we've got to understand that uh, covid Changed the landscape of everything. Whether you wanted to or not, whether you admit it or not, it did cause a chasm and it caused a new need to communicate and to learn to communicate. Ooh, see, if I could
0: change the topic, I would call it the restructuring or the or the reformation or reconstruction of education. Let's think about this for a moment. Just rethink the role of CEOs and role models. After what you just heard, after what was just shared over the podcast, think about how COVID 19 has brought a fundamental change in leadership in many organizations. These standout role models and their identity, I believe, has shifted from directing a command and control crisis response to building and unleashing winning teams. Winning teams in a way that are cutting edge, that set new norms and new learning maps. What is a role model? A role model, this is one definition. A role model is a behavior others may emulate or admire because they're efficient or they're skilled in a certain task or a certain type of talent. It would be best to model this behavior when creating visions and implementing plans against the goals. So students should know the difference. They should know the difference internally and they should know the difference externally from those different environments that they're in when they're having a positive role model or a negative role model, whether they're having a good teacher model by the way they present their lesson objectives and by the way they take ownership in their lessons, by the way they take accountability for not only their teaching and instruction, but also for the students' learning, I believe. And so role models must identify how the students will show mastery through assessments, so that they can measure growth by knowing their skills, by being able to package instructional chunks in a way that's digestible for those students to learn. This is where those seasoned professionals come in in the classroom to show those young educators through professional development, through one-on-ones, different types of approaches to be able to get better faster now I want to open up the panel before I go to uh, mr. Barry because I want to ask you a specific question because you're in the community you are I would say you are a master trainer when it comes to mental health and that mental strength that people need and that's pre-COVID and post-COVID But I want to talk about mind maps and how to identify those learning needs so that you can give those students because students are not just children they're also adults but give them the knowledge that they need by the skills that they apply and knowing their capacity and knowing the range of the capacity Uh, and when I I think about capacity I think about a car I think about putting fuel in the car and and what level that fuel gauge is on that that's what I think about when I think about capacity but you also got to know the will of the people what is their mentality but that's not it you still need to know we talked about equity you have to know that culture you have to be culturally responsive I believe so you have to have culture Competency. I hear Buddy talk about it all the time, but that's not it. You still have to have emotional intelligence. I think that's that empathy that I hear so much about. Let me let me go to Carberry real quick. Carberry, please tell us, knowledge, what you got going on currently. I know you got a lot. I know you got your podcast now. We want to hear about it. Please let us know what you got going on currently, sir. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I was amazed. I went to a church in the inner city that had 52 ministries in a mile and a half radius of the building. And most of the people they're serving was homeless. And the love was amazing. They had bicycles. They had laundries. They had medical, dental, eye help. They had a computer lab. They had homes for pregnant teens, homes for wayward uh, pregnant women, wayward teens, homes for people getting out of the uh, uh, prisons. It was a very, very touching uh, scenario. But what I learned from that and what it made me think of when you were talking is that we hear, we feel, and we see. But once we got... The virtual piece, our hearing was impaired, our seeing was definitely impaired, and our feeling was non existent. And so the touch and the ability to touch other people and to demonstrate care was limited to these artificial means. And then we add injury to that. Somebody brought up AI we had injury to that by bringing up all of these new AI technologies. You know, uh, my marketing guide created some AI images for me. You know, I couldn't tell the difference between the AI images and the ones that the, the, the cartoonists did. But far as I'm concerned, it's just important for us to understand that the measurement and the tools of measurement have been impaired. And we've never returned. And as I look at it, and I'll say this and shut up, I look at a world where churches have died uh, overall. Uh, The attendance has died. But guess what? Uh, Online attendance has increased. If you look at online attendance and live attendance, you'll find out there's 25% more people going to church now than ever. But half of them are online and half of them are in the building. So that gives us something to ponder. I wish I was smart enough, Isaiah, uh, to be able to think about it and give you a response. But I think I'll shut up and see what the wisdom of the people on the call have to say.
0: But no, let me, let me, me, before, before you go, before you go, let me, I want to ask, I want to pull, I want to ask something of you. I want to ask something from you because you were there when everything shifted okay uh, there used to be this cliche that you were hear all the time the good old days or, or those were the days and even if even if I, even if I say that I, I could hear like the music during that time maybe it was jazz maybe it was swing who knows I wasn't there but why do children from low socioeconomically disadvantaged communities, lack positive role models or do they? And has it always been that way? Have they always had negative role models in poor communities? Or or were there also positive role models in poor communities in the past? What's your thoughts,
3: Mr. Berry? Well if somebody has already said it, you know, uh, there's going to always be a good lesson and a bad lesson from any situation. And going back to the see, feel, and hear scenario, uh, b- in the old days, we had a way that was easily recognized about how we saw people, how we recognized them. We could kind of get an insight on their social economic background. We could get an insight on the color of their skin. We could get insight on uh, different things that we could see and hear from the people we are around, but that landscape has now changed. And the changes aren't as easily recognized as they were back in the good old days. I don't think there's any different. I just think the language is different. Uh, the interpretation of the language is different. Uh, but the key is if we are motivated, I'm going to go back to my favorite word. If we're motivated by love. And love is going to permeate all things. Then we're able to learn to speak the new dialect of the changed language. And so for me, uh, I don't think that they're changed. I, I, I know that the good old days was here, but you know what? I was a musician and what we used to call R&B, they now call old school. And what they're calling R&B today is something that I don't even like. And there's no recognition to me in today's R&B and what it used to look like, and that's the way most of the things in life are. It's not the same as it used to be, and we've got to be able to change as the chameleon changes.
0: Okay, and, and don't go anywhere, anybody. coattails still, but the panel's open though. Now, have have role models become more provocative now than the ones of the past? Panels open.
2: Well, what I wanted to say when I, I saw um, the part about role models and just hearing the conversation, I when I hear the the statement about role models and lack thereof in stu um, for in poor communities, I have to disagree with that because when I think about from an educational professional standpoint, how we may view a role model may not be the same for a child that has never seen an adult in his or her immediate family go to college or have a college degree. So the perception of how people or what people may view as a role model just may be different. And I'll use this example. Um, A role model can be a grandparent who loved and operated in the capacity of what was right taught his family or her family the importance of family values and morale and i can say this like my grandparents they didn't go to college but i know so much of my grandfather and my grandmother are in me i always saw my grandfather always operate in i'm going to always do what's right of course no one is perfect but that is something to this day I pride myself on because for me, it made me who I am. No matter what people say, I'm always going to stand on what's right. I can be the only one standing on what's right but I'm going to stand on it. And he didn't have a college degree, but he was my role model. And I can say, because now I'm at the the end of finishing my PhD, a lot of the, I'm sorry, the reason that I pursued that route was because of my grandfather and he was phenomenal. So, and I'm not, and I actually didn't come from a poor community, but we weren't rich. We had what we needed. So I just think we have to think about, you know, when people use that word role model, the mindset or the perception of where it's coming from. And so we can't use the term not terminology poor communities because there are still good role models even in those poor communities. I'm sorry, poor communities. And I did want to chime on the part where you talked about um, veteran teachers and novice teachers and the role modeling. I remember when I came in in 2004 and I had a veteran teacher leading me. The reality is I learned more through my aunt who was an elementary school teacher than my veteran, who was my mentor at the high school level. And over the course of my first year and second year, we talk about, because you mentioned earlier that, you know, that old, not necessarily old, but the veteran teacher is the one that you look to for guidance and I was one of those novice teachers that I couldn't truly look to that veteran teacher for guidance that was at my high school level. So sometimes you're going to find yourself in a position where you don't have what you need, so you may have to seek out other avenues. Like in my case, I had a mentor that was my aunt. So there again, that goes back to that leader you know who are your role models in that that building. So to ensure that your new teacher has that equity piece or understands that equity piece, you have to make sure they're paired with somebody that truly not necessarily is a veteran but, but could be three years in but truly understands the expectation. And so and lastly I just want to share with the teaching strategies how we talk about making sure that they're equitable and culturally responsive. We're living in a society now where we're trying to we're banning books so i believe that we we're not truly always ensuring equity number 1 because how can you say that we're being culturally responsive when we're taking books that we have incorporated into our classrooms and lessons for years that are necessary, that are pertinent because they do provide that culturally relevant piece. So as we talk about equity, I think that's something that people need to really come back to the table and think about, like, are we truly providing equity and being culturally responsive when we're taking books out of the classroom that are pertaining to our diverse background of students? And so that, for me, is really important. And I just wanted to share that as we talk about the role modeling, we talk about um, the equ- equity and the culturally responsive instruction.
0: Oh, that was fire. That was fire because you talked about impactful people in your life, in your environment, in your, in your system, right? That gave you the, that motivation. And first, it may have started off as intrinsic motivation, but because they kept being that support system in your life, that extrinsic motivation turned to intrinsic motivation and now you're a doctor. Now you have a PhD, you're finishing up. I love it. I loved how you, you brought in to me, you brought in what I got from it, my perception. And buddy, I'm about to come down your lane. My perception of what you brought was knowing the difference between harm versus care now does this person really care about growing me or or are they intimidated because I'm the new kid on the block right and so now that now they make my learning harder they make me pay the cost more because I've been doing education for 40 50 years and here here comes this new person that that could be in it for a different reason and for that purpose Okay, they may become better than me. So it's those perceptions, it's those realities, those miscommunication skills. It's communication, I believe. And we got a communication expert on the podcast tonight, on the panel tonight. You all are, but the one I want to pull up from right now is Buddy Thor Pod Association Pro. Buddy I know you've been listening. I know you're on the edge of your seat. What are the myths and what are the realities about perceptions and miscommunication regarding expression and expressing those perceptions to the students? How do you, how do you organize in your mind what is important to share at that precise time? How do you do it as a coach as a, a, um, a life coach how do you do it as a teacher how do you do it and remain culturally responsive buddy you are a Caucasian you are a white guy right but yet you have to be culturally responsive to a diverse array of people, wish your thoughts, we're going to listen, take your time.
4: Well, during my doctoral education where I focused on cross-cultural competency and conflict uh, resolution, I basically learned three or four different things. Number one, <clears throat> there's really no distinction between large groups of people. So when you start talking about myths and realities about the perception and miscommunication that's present right now in the student and teacher environment, you can't really separate the students and teachers too far. When you're looking at students and you're looking at the reality of what they're seeing and how they're seeing things and feeling things, and then you're trying to address it, number one you you have to take the time to understand what their normal role in society is a 13 to 16 year old only has three things they're supposed to do they're supposed to learn how to function in society they want to know where they fit in society they want to know how to socialize with their peers so the misconception is that they're not intelligent the biggest misconception is they're not intelligent they are extremely intelligent as a matter of fact when you measure IQ across the board they're just as intelligent as the teachers who are teaching them. What they lack is access to knowledge over time and experience. So when you're talking about support equity and you want to support the students, you have to take into account that they are extremely intelligent. How do you feed them a constant stream of data and let them evolve and you have to remember that you have to tie what you're doing to what they already want to focus on socialization where they fit in the world what their passions are they're not interested in things that don't hit their passion and they are always going to be looking outside externally they are going to see all the things around them today there is so much more data compared to even 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago God forbid we go back to when I was a teenager The bottom line is they have so much to focus on, and yet because of human nature and psychology, they're going to focus on what is going to be relevant to their three desire streams. So if you want to create equity, match your teaching style and your data style to what you know they're already pursuing in the first place. A, it creates a positive economic cost over their entire lifetime if you can tie their passions and interests to what you're teaching them. Two, it has a psychological impact. When they succeed, they succeed far above expectations. When they fail, it's almost, the question has to be, did they fail or did I fail them? That's a perception that is lost in the school system. With teachers, it's almost a sustainability situation. We need to start realizing that we're teaching people who are just as intelligent as we are. They just don't have knowledge and they don't have experience. So if we address them and let them co-create the environment and we use what they're trying to do against them, we, we find out what their passions are, and then we feed them data aligned with their passions, and we allow them to interact, we're going to completely flip the script, and there's not going to be an equity problem. I'll give you an example. You have a student in a class who's far above other students. They're economically a little bit ahead financially in their family life, their home environment. When they succeed and the students around them don't succeed, the students can see that quicker than the teachers can. Flip the script. Help the kids who are a little bit behind get a little bit caught up. Impact the student by pairing them with someone who is less advantaged and let them grow together. Kids want to socialize. That's their number one goal in life. Let them socialize. And when you pair them intellectually, they start to ignore the economic realities they live in, and they start focusing on the relationship, what I like to call the third party in the room. Develop the third party in the room. Create the relationships that allow these kids to grow I know that's counterintuitive to what they try to teach about teaching to the to the test and everything else to get the scores up in the school, but if you let kids self actualize and you improve them psychologically, test scores, according to research, go up an average of eleven to sixteen percent across the board. Whether it's the socioeconomically challenged students or the advantaged students, it doesn't make any difference. They feel psychologically secure in the classroom you can pair them and you can get them all to come up. As you said, I I was in the Navy. Well, a rising tide lifts all ships. Create an environment where every child feels like they're in a rising tide and help them get there.
0: Now you, you know, that was, I know you were in the Navy, but that was a doggone rocket. <sighs> you talked about love, my goodness. Dr. Marshall talked about love. Uh, Carl Barry talked about love uh, when he talked about love it goes back to love and with love comes unity and with unity comes co creation That was so much I 'm not we're not going to have time to unpack everything you said but the shape that I saw was that blooms taxonomy pyramid <laughs> where at the top of the pyramid you have that co-creation piece Let me go down. Thank you so much. I want to thank all the panelists uh, that have been contributors to this podcast. I'm I'm going down the lane, Uh, Dr. Marshall. I'm 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 coming to you now. (laughs) I'm coming down your lane because I, I really want you to share with us how sometimes we over we oversimplify. I guess you would say that that over uh, simplification of instruction because there's so much to unpack to our young scholars what all the different teaching approaches that you have to know as an educator today that there's so many methods methodologies concepts however you want to call it maybe it's didactic or maybe it's just direct instruction Maybe it's demonstration or just modeling. Maybe it's presentation or, or lecturing. Maybe it's just asking those types of questions that's converging. Whatever it is, whether you're facilitating while the kids are up teaching through Socratic seminars, you name it. You got to find what works. And you got to tailor make not only the lesson, but the instruction and the understanding for each one of your scholars. You got to tailor make it just like a shoe size that not fits all, but that fits that one. That's a hard task. The question I pose to you is how. Can public school leaders meet teachers, especially new teachers, where they are instead of giving them all these expectations? Quite frankly, that's too far from their reach. That's my question. Take your time. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, that is a great question. Um, the reality is when a school leader makes a decision to hire a teacher, they already know where that teacher is. Because generally when they come in, they're either going to have to model a lesson or they've received some type of um, data or evaluations from their previous school. But if, it's, if they are a new teacher, they've already had the opportunity to have some type of idea of where that teacher is. And so I'm just going to say a new teacher. The reality is it is up to that leader. It is up to whoever he he or she designates as that mentor for that teacher to make sure that he or she has the guidance, the necessary tools and resources at the beginning of the year so that they can plan accordingly. As a new teacher, as a veteran teacher, you have to purposefully plan. You have to intentionally plan. And I'll just kind of use myself as an example. When I first came in as a new teacher, like at the beginning of the year, I already saw my students' data, already knew where my students were. So that put me in a position where I could plan my lessons from the first, second, third, fourth semester, knowing the instructional, not sorry, knowing the lessons, but also the objectives that I was going to teach that first nine weeks, the second nine weeks, third nine weeks, and fourth nine weeks. So even as a new teacher, there was planning on the front end. And we all know there's planning periodically throughout each nine, I'm sorry, nine weeks our semester, however, Schools represent. So it's important for a school leader to already know where their teacher is when that teacher comes into the building. But what I tend to see and what I like is that more schools now have shifted to making sure that a new teacher, even if this teacher has been teaching five, ten plus years, coming into a new school has a mentor. So that way, these teachers, these educators already have they know up front what the expectation is from that leader. They already know what the expe- expectation is for their grade level, their content area, so they can feel comfortable. Where we get into those unrealistic expectations is when leaders tend to give teachers too much um, on the front end or too much over the course of the year. For instance, at, for a leader, When when you're coming at your teachers and and you have unrealistic expectations about growth, where you want to see your students or where you believe that students should be by the end of a semester, that's where you start putting those unrealistic expectations or too much pressure on a teacher because that becomes overwhelming. The reality is it's all about student growth. It is all about student growth. If you can take a student from where they were at the beginning and they show growth to that end of that, that semester, that's what you want to see because that student has made gains. And the reality is when you have a leader that gives the message or the impression to a teacher that, hey, I expect to see X, Y, Z by the end of the semester. This is where these students should grow. That puts a lot of pressure on a teacher that wants to be a good teacher. And I don't know anyone that comes into the profession that does not want to achieve academic um, achievement. And so that's where you you tend to have those issues where those unrealistic expectations put too much on a new or even a veteran teacher that's coming to a new school. So I just believe personally, a school leader, you already know where your teachers are at the beginning of the year when they've entered that building. You have to ensure they have the support at the beginning throughout that year and they feel comfortable going to that mentor, even coming to you as a principal the leader in the building when they feel like they are in a place where I need some additional support because I feel overwhelmed. That goes back to the leader so that teacher can feel comfortable having that conversation because when you don't provide that environment, that type of environment for your new teacher or a veteran teacher, this is where you're going to have problems. And so for me, this question just really goes back to creating that environment so teachers feel that they they have that 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 opportunity and that level of comfort to actually get ha, go to that um, veteran teacher or go to that principal so they can get that the resources or the materials that they may need so they can progress and have their students achieve an academic progress.
0: Listen, we got to bring you back to the podcast. Will you come back to the podcast, Dr. Marshall? For sure,
2: definitely, definitely.
0: Absolutely. Well, now, Don Whitty, we we're coming down your lane because this question I want to ask you, I know you're going to take us home with this, but how can we plan based off what you heard from the other panelists? How can we plan? How can we practice? How can we follow up those good teaching strategies that we've already heard from those experienced educators, those experienced uh, pro-social change agents? Thank you for
1: like, yeah thank
0: no,
1: you yeah go ahead. I,
0: I i think that, like, do you know the, the do you even know the question i'm about to ask you right now oh
1: you
0: know
1: you know. okay with this mark, go 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 so no. let me I'm, I'm i'm
0: listen i'm gonna ask you this and i'm gonna shut up okay and so with that being said the mm-hmm. question i want to ask you and I, I want you to keep it culturally responsive and both that and, and equitable in your response how do we plan, how do we practice, how do we follow up moving forward with good teacher strategies? What's your thoughts?
1: My thoughts are, like one of the words I heard like in, from Africa was Buddha, which is I see you, I value you, you are important to me. And whatever capacity that we get to put that into our lives, as a teacher, as a person That is so important I love that I, I Look, I, I think that like valuing every soul When you are teaching them Or you're just like in their midst You are literally saying I see you and when you see somebody, that's the most amazing thing you can do for anybody. When you do that for children, that is the most amazing thing. And I love doing that for children. So everything everybody said has been amazing. But I want to say, like, I I I get that. I get that. What I want to do is I want to see everybody. I want to value everybody. I want to... I want them to see their highest and greatest good, no matter what that is. Like, whatever degree they have or whatever. Like, I didn't value myself because I thought, well, I don't know, I didn't graduate from Stanford. I think everybody who actually is like being their best self is the same. I want to help everybody get to that place where they feel like their value is because they exist.
0: That that was so philosophical. Now, what do you do?
1: But that is. Let us know a little
0: bit. Of, what, yeah. <laughs> what, so so don, what do you do? Tell, tell us a little bit about you before we go. What do you do? We we are you out here doing currently.
1: I I have a foundation and I like. I I work the two like. Spread that message to the people that live in Africa or the people that live anywhere is that like you matter because you live exist this is what I want to put out into the world is that you matter because you exist
0: that, that's hard to come after well listen that was we, we wrapping things up tonight and uh, what are the takeaways for the night? Who wants to go first? What are the takeaways? Who wants to go first?
1: My takeaway is like, I'm grateful that I got to be in this, like this community. So thank you.
0: Oh, we thank you as well. Who's, who's next?
4: I'll dive in. You know, uh, I think role modeling is really, really important and I think what was expressed on the this tonight was, was an expo, uh, a very big expose of exactly how role modeling works. Everyone here has gone through a very positive educational experience and they have all reached uh, a very good place in their lives and we have the opportunity to role model this to these kids. And yet when they look around and they see what's happening around them, and if they don't see responsible adults questioning the behavior of other responsible or irresponsible adults, take your pick, and explain to them what is good or bad role modeling, how are these kids supposed to know? They're going to be making their own choices. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we can do anything to teach them that to make a good choice is to make an acceptable choice and it can't just be acceptable to you it has to be acceptable to the people around you and so i think that role modeling uh, bigger better faster happens when we take responsibility for if we see it and we know it's bad we at least label it whether we discuss it or not these kids need the benefit of that and I think that we can role model in silence, or we can role model actively. And I certainly prefer to role model actively.
0: Thank you for that, sir. Um,
2: I'll follow. I uh, the takeaway for me, um, I, I don't, I can't remember his name, but he said, "A rising tide lifts all boats." That was powerful for me, and I was like, "Whoa!" So with that, when I think about the words somebody shared earlier, love when you truly love people i may mean, have a heart in which you really care and you're being authentic and we talk as we talk about this role modeling as a person as an individual i'm all about uplifting and when i think about as an educator i pride myself on trying to lift others up my students my coworkers um even people who may be my leaders but i feel like we just have to keep in mind as we're we're trying to you know move towards academic achievement or becoming a better educator if we're helping those around us or helping those you know those students that are in our classrooms or even when someone talked about the students how they learn from each other and i'm a firm believer of that you're lifting those around you up so my takeaway Just like the guy said, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's powerful for me and and to me that I'm going to end on that note.
0: That was perfect. That was perfect. Well, sir, Bishop, call Barry, take us home.
3: Well, you guys were great. You made me think. In fact, I'm going to take away a thought that I came up with listening to you all. You're either an example or a warning. I don't think this necessarily a good or a bad role model. I think back in my youth, and I thought about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And I have to be honest, there was a time where Malcolm was the leader and Martin was actually a loser. But as I've gotten older in society, some of the stuff Malcolm had to say, when I thought he was a warning, I have to be sure to keep watching. Uh, I'll use another example as I shut down uh, with the uh, the Black Panthers. I was sure they were an evil intent organization until i saw a documentary in 2023 when they found out that all the evidence proved and all the charges were dropped that they weren't even guilty so we've got to keep our eyes open somebody said keep your eyes on the prize and so i just gonna keep watching and learning
0: impact of educational leadership podcast Facebook.